FIS Castaway, the podcast keeping you in the know about the shipping and commodity world. To keep up to date, sign up to our FIS Live app at www.fis-live.com or follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Hello, welcome to this week's podcast on the 22nd of October, a bright Thursday morning in London, and I have with me Kerry and Tom. Hello, guys. Hi, Chris. Morning, guys. Cool. Let's go over the news that we've seen the last week. Uh, we've seen violence erupt in Nigeria with fighting between security forces and demonstrators. Uh, the Pope has voiced support for same-sex unions. Liz, the lead-up to the final U.S. presidential debate tonight uh, and the muted mic controversy. China's Ant Group got approval for the world's biggest ever IPO. The UK's Royal Mail has announced it's launching a doorstep parcel collection service in response to growing e-commerce and working from home. Israel and the UAE signed a visa and pipeline deal to cement their normalization pact. The US has restarted nuclear arms control talks with Russia. Jacinda Ardern won a landslide in New Zealand's general election, winning the first outright majority since its new PR electoral system was introduced in 1996. The Republic of Ireland have gone into a new six-week lockdown and the UN arms embargo on Iran has expired. So a mixed bag this week. Let's uh, move on to our indexes and talk about markets. Why don't you start us off, Tom, in the in the iron ore? Yeah, so in the iron ore this week, uh, the two indexes that we look at, uh, the 62% iron ore uh, trading or uh, pricing yesterday at 120.4 uh, versus 119.75 last week. So a small increase, half a percent up. And the 65, the high grade uh, contract, uh, pricing at 133.8 yesterday versus 132.7 a week ago. So 0.8% increase uh, there. Cool. And Kerry, what about the dry freight stuff? Dry freight, quite a bit of movement on the Capes yet again. Uh, they came off sharply, 17,151, the Cape 5 TC index yesterday. Uh, that's down 6,154 from last Wednesday's uh, or 26%. The Panamax 4TC is sitting at uh, 9,973 as of yesterday, down 1,404 from last Wednesday, or about 12%. And then in the oil markets, Brent, we've seen come off about 1.64%. Now at 44.31 was just last night's close. Uh, fuel oil-wise, Scene 380 is up 3.69%, uh, ending 261.91 yesterday. Ross down 3.5%, 247 quarter close, up 1.85 on uh, last Wednesday. Singapore 0.5 up, oh sorry, down 1%, 321.91, and down also for the ROC 0.5%, down 3.62% at 2.99 quarter, dropping below the 300 mark. Uh, And on the high fives, for those who are interested, quite some movement uh, in the last week. Sing high five moving from 72.60 to 60, minus 17.36%, and the ROC equivalent 67.75 to 52 down 23 and a quarter percent. So some significant movements on those. Uh, related tanker-wise, just a little brief overview. TC2, 70 to 75.28, up 7.5%. TC5 is down 3.2% at 66.88 yesterday. TD3C is down 1%, uh, 29.33 was the close. And TD25 is up 6.3%, 45 quarter the close. Well, thank you for the the update on our, our indexes from our main markets. And let's just dive straight into uh, the iron ore markets. And uh, we've obviously seen a slight movement on those indexes. But, Tom, what's happening in the background? Um, so this week has been a funny old week. Um, chatting with traders over the last couple of days, um, 
the the sort of one of the main factors of the last week or so has been the lack of volume uh, that's been trading on both the offshore, the the US dollar product, and the onshore uh, Chinese product. Um, in fact, one trader asked this week uh, if the the volume figures for last week were were correct or if we'd been sending out the wrong figures for golden week the week prior as they were so low um and on dce just sort of crossing it against the same same period last year uh volume on the dalian is about 25 to 30 percent down uh for the month year on year um so a very very quiet october um no one seems to have an axe, as it were, at the moment. And I think a lot of the themes that we've been talking about um, <clears throat> over the last few weeks around, you know, a lot of analysts pointing towards this going down below 100 um, still seem like they're a sensible prediction. But every time the market does seem to start moving down, it very rapidly corrects again uh, back back up towards the sky. So it makes it very, very difficult for I think any traders to take a real view at the moment. So the last nine sessions or so, it, it hasn't really moved uh, in a year where, you know, 2%, 3%, 4% moves in a day have not become uh, or have become the norm. It's, it seems very, very, very uh, quiet at the moment, um, very much in the doldrums, as it were. Um, in terms of points of note around the sort of fundamental picture um my steel's rebar inventory data indicated this week that uh the draw on inventory that they'd been expecting was lower than expected uh and lower than the previous week um suggesting that you know there is no real steel demand in china now or steel demand is certainly slowing at a quicker rate than people have been expecting um the Tangshan steel mill region uh, production curbs that we talked about last week, um, they have been um, they've been withdrawn as air quality has improved sufficiently, um, which should be positive iron ore. Um, but given what we just said about the steel, well, that remains to be seen. Um, and then in terms of uh, pointers around the main three producers and their sort of production and delivery numbers. All three of them have announced uh, this week that they will make guidance. So that's Rio, BHP and Vale. Um, And as we've been talking about continuously over the last few weeks, few months, what that means for Vale is to get to 310 million tonnes for the year. They need an average of 7.5 million tonnes a week uh, through to the end of the year, which apparently they are confident they can do. I imagine that should have some knock-on effect on the cake market, um, but we'll see how that bears out. Um, from a macro level, um, Chinese PM um, has basically said that um, investment, export and consumption statistics uh, so far are actually marginally ahead of where they expected, and they actually think that the Chinese economy for the, the full year will have a positive growth rate which if you think about where they were three, four, five months ago and, and where the rest of the world is now, that seems fairly remarkable, uh, even if there is a degree of, um, you know, uh, the the mistrust of Chinese figures built into that. It's still, you know, it's still a, a fairly strong uh, statement to be able to come out with, given where everyone else in the world's economy is. Um, so interesting uh, in that respect. 
And on the currency front, the Chinese currency has had one of its strongest weeks uh, in many years. Um, and yeah, I think it's a it's a multi-year highs now against the dollar and against other currencies. Um, so that will obviously have a interesting impact on uh, the sort of commodity trade coming into next year as well if it stays so elevated. So relatively right week, um, but but still some interesting stuff to talk about. Us. I, I mean, Tom, it's, it's interesting the point you made that uh, activity has been so muted. Um, and much like you, having spoken to a few of the traders this week. I'm actually beginning to get the view that, you know, people are just fatigued with not really understanding why the market is where it is right now in iron ore. Um, You know, whether this is just sentiment being driven by the positive GDP growth headlines, leading retail money into the onshore markets and keeping this high, you know, it does not seem to match the macros that we're seeing, you know, bearing in mind retail sales can actually affect iron ore consumption very much within China. So, you know, I, I get the impression that quite a few people probably were ready to go short and indeed did go short uh, during that last dip in late September and maybe uh, are just a little bit sick of having that uh, come back to bite them. Yeah, and it, it's, just, it's just it's hugely frustrating, I think, for traders like trying to actually hang on to a position, uh, like whether you're long or short at the moment, there's, there's no consistent pattern. Um, so, you know, it, yeah, like you said, it's frustrating. Um, and if you're prepared to be frustrated and hang on in there, maybe you know, maybe it does bear out. You might be, you might be right, but it makes it very difficult to justify any trade at the moment. But but just to, to highlight how sort of quiet the market has gone over the last um, few sessions, week even the the realised volatility is is above the implied volatility in the iron ore market at the moment, which is a <laughs> phenomenon. Um, so it has got very 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 boring. <clears throat> but you've been talking about the, the kind of problems for, for these traders uh, and the difficulty in the market and how it's not where it should be. To what extent is that just bred into the kind of scenario we find ourselves in? I know we started this podcast talking about unprecedented nature uh, of, this, of the situation, 100-year, huge global pandemic, and, and the quite incredible reactions governments have had to take economically as well as on people's lives, the impact. To what extent is that really causing problems for pricing markets and therefore traders trading it? It's, it's not usual things you're looking at and it's not usual actors on, on the market. No, I think you're completely right, Chris. I think it makes it very difficult to express a view in the way that you normally would. A lot of the the pricing markers that traders would normally use are, are now irrelevant. Uh, <clears throat> a lot of the price points that would normally trigger price action don't seem to be relevant. Uh, you know, if you look at the you look at the equities and the bond market, like the disconnect that's happened there um, is is fairly major. And if you look at gold, gold's normally a sort of <clears throat> a tail risk asset that you hold to protect your portfolio. And at the moment, like gold is for a lot of people a growth engine on their portfolio. Um, yeah, and and it's moving you know moving in line with equities. So when equities are strong, gold seems to be strong, and that is. And not necessarily, it's not necessarily a rare phenomenon, but but at the moment when equities come off, gold comes off as well, which is rare. Um, so everything seems to be not out of the window completely. You know, there's still normal market behaviour going on, but a lot of, I think, tried and tested trading methods that guys are are used to using will will not necessarily deliver the fruit that they're used to at the moment. This is why a lot of them are looking towards next year for a bit more normality and then they can go, I'm refreshed, but a nice Christmas break, come back in, 
things are kind of a bit more normal, things are under control. Hopefully you have things with the vaccine and then in terms of normal consumption, movements of product, uh, usual goings on in countries can go back to normal and then they can then look to put on more risk in a, a more confident way. Well, yeah. exactly. Exactly. I think that's certainly what we're all looking for. So You've been taking your optimism pills, Chris. <laughs> I took a double dose this morning. But talking of quiet markets, I'm going to get a little update on, on oils. It's been somewhat similar um, to, to the iron ore. There's uh, been much of a flat line on crude uh, for the past week. Uh, we had a, a small draw in uh, crude stocks in the US reported by the EIA and uh, a build in products. Um, we have rallied up this morning, but that was after kind of several days of somewhat negative movements. Some things to pinpoint on, which are a little bit more interesting or have actually moved. The FOGOs have moved up, continuing that uh, trend that we highlighted from September. We've just seen this long line of slowly increasing strength on, on that FOGO spread, which has dragged up that 0.5%, the new very low sulfur fuel oil. You would then expect that the, uh, the resultant change in the high five would mean that that would that would uh, grow. But actually, due to the strength of the high sulfur fuel oil crack, which has been quite something over, over October, that has actually shrunk. So to put some numbers on it, uh, Rotterdam front month uh, high five is now back down to 54 and a half this morning and Singapore 60 quarter. We were in the 70s levels going, oh, look, we're finally seeing a bit of a resurgence and it's been smashed back down again. Uh, just to give context on that high sulfur fuel oil crack, we were minus 615 on the 1st of October. Uh, we're minus 375 this morning. Um, or to put it in, a, in an, another way, $12 on fuel oil frat price equivalent. That's the kind of cushion that it's had on the, you may, Brent may have come off, but that cushion on a strengthening crack is there's a resultant $12 higher than it would be if, if it hadn't moved at all. So some, some significant movements on some of those spreads that we're looking at, but generally not too much moving. Uh, the only really big news of, of the last week or so was uh, OPEC coming out with saying, or and this was a news story, I think it was from Reuters, uh, talking about that retrospectively, OPEC still owe 2.3 million barrels of production cuts uh, from their previous agreement. So the figure was 2.38 million in August, but they still haven't completed what they had previously done. So it does seem that the market is starting to see a lot of that, as well as the problems of, of increasing virus cases, uh, people exiting the market, the volume not being there, which is not supporting things, which has led to this kind of slight slide that we've seen in the, in the last week on, on oil. We want to move across to freight. Kerry, give us the background. Well, Chris, what goes up must come down and, uh, and then jump back up again. I think that's the story of the past week on freight. Uh, the index fell from last Wednesday, a whopping 26% on the capes uh, until yesterday, uh, although it does now seem to be finding some support. Despite the restrictions on Aussie Met coal shipments to China, BHPs actually kept their production guidance unchanged. So for now, it seems like other countries, especially India, we're, we're seeing are likely to take up some of that slack. Um, so Met coal shipments have been down out of Australia about 1.7 million tons year over year over the past month. But it's not affecting the freight market as negatively as I think many people feared. So that's beginning to lend some support to the market. Um, and though congestion overall has been falling at Chinese ports, there's been a very busy, uh, very busy 
period of time here over the last week for C5, the West Aussie China iron ore route. We've seen quite a bit of demand, uh, quite a few stems coming out. Uh, and in fact, we're starting to see that on the index with the C5 index jumping overnight by about 56 cents uh, to $7.78. Uh, the big story on the case, though, at the moment is C3, Brazil, China. This is where the number of balusters has once again dropped down. And in fact, we're hitting just extraordinarily low levels of balusters now. Um, according to one satellite estimate, only 55 balusters are, were available as of last night. Uh, that's down over 25% since Friday. Uh, this has caused just a massive jump on the C3 voyage rates, uh, up $1.23 overnight to $17.38. Uh, and the paper has been reacting, understandably, to that by absolutely reaping. Uh, the NAV Cape 5 TC contract has moved from a low of 16,000 on Tuesday to 20,200 uh, this morning, according to our app wall. Even the Q1, seasonally a very, very weak time, is seeing a little bit of a bounce here, um, uh, pushing up to $9,400 value uh, on that contract this morning. Uh, what we're seeing on the Panamaxes is a little bit less exciting, but it's certainly being helped by the Cape Sentiment uh, Index is likely to stabilize today. The paper pushed up overnight by about 200 bucks on the front-end contract to 11150 on the November 4TC contract. Uh, and in general, I think there's a bit of optimism creeping in on the Panamax side as well due to uh, Brazil soybean exports expected to be fairly strong as we head into the season. Kerry, we're expecting sort of that consistent seven and a half million ton average from Vale coming out of Brazil for the remainder of the year. What's causing the lack of ballasters? I mean, is it is it just the congestion of China and just that not not enabling enough ships to discharge and free up to to, to ballast back? Or it is indeed. Um, it's the congestion in China. Um, I suspect if you do a deep dive into the figures out of Brazil, what you're going to see is that Vale has been a bit short on Vale Max tonnage as well, so has been needing to take more capes than normal over the past few weeks to uh, to make up that 7.5 million tons a week uh, target that they have. Um, and, uh, and for that strange, quite a few of them. And, you know, bear in mind, for the last... 10 days to two weeks, the market was falling very, very steeply. So I think, you know, you will have seen quite a few owners make a snap decision to perhaps stay in the Pacific, for example, rather than past Singapore um, and, and ballast towards Brazil. Um, and so this, this sudden turnaround will have caught a few people by surprise. And in the meantime, I think it bodes very well for Cape rates uh, over the next few days or a week or so. Cool. Um, but, you know, overall, I think it's it's definitely worth focusing on the fact that Vale has said they will make that guidance. Um, you know, we are going to see quite a bit of demand for the rest of the year. So I can't really imagine a scenario in which C3 rates absolutely collapse um, for the rest of this year. Cool. Well, let's uh, look to uh, a couple funnel commodities. And I think we have a little bit of talk about China. Um, let's look at wet FFAs. There's not too much to report. And I think that many in the market at the moment are, are somewhat... Uh, depressed with things that are going on. TD3C still remains uh, kind of flatlined with week-on-week spots showing hardly any change as we outlined at the start. Last Wednesday, we saw Balmer contract trading up to 31 and then to 31 and a half. So massive moves to report this week. Uh, the NOV contracts have felt the pain of trading decent size at 34 and 35. So uh, slightly up, at least we're seeing a three handle at the start of these numbers, but not too too great. And then in terms of fertilizers, 
uh, all attention is on RCS new tender, which uh, I think there's a few problems and negotiations going on, uh, but unlikely to be be cancelled. But uh, no significant issues are anticipated. Uh, in terms of the paper, AG paper found value this week in the low 250s for Q4, uh, with December trading 250 to 253, uh, and there's a bid support for November at the same level. Uh, Egypt and Brazil paper values uh, have come under, under pressure, though, uh, on softer physical. Uh, and then just quick on the DAP, no, the DAP futures uh, are going sideways, so not too much to add there. But, Tom, you were linking us to an article this week uh, talking about China and can the rebound last? You, we, you obviously said yourself that it's going to be a country uh, that hopefully, uh, in terms of positive news, will be in the in positive year-on-year GDP figures, which I think is probably going to be the only country in the world doing going to be able to do that. Uh, everyone else is not looking too great. Um, I think in years' time, econo- economists will look back and go, are you sure that's right? There's supposed to be a, a minus number at the start of that. Um, but again, a lot of it, in t- the same is true of the oil market, has been driven by the growth of of demand uh, for the crude into China, those record numbers that we saw in July. Can this continue? That is the uh, question. Yes, I mean, from what this Bloomberg article that I was sort of referring you to seems to suggest is that to September, broadly speaking, um, it had been an industrial-led um, recovery uh, and the sort of the rest of the economy had sort of yet to catch up there was a little of not a lot of confidence built into it at a consumer level uh, so it was very much government stimulus led industrial um, recovery but what appears to be happening now is that consumer confidence seems to be coming back um, so retail sales uh, in china uh, accelerated to 3.3 percent in september which is well above the 1.6 percent median estimate um, by the sort of Bloomberg uh, economists. So big, big drive up in that. Vehicle sales have gone up. Uh, we're up 2.4% on year on year. Um, the restaurant sector, still not quite back there. Um, but, you know, broadly speaking, there's, a, there's a, the consumer confidence seems to be coming back. Property investment in China outperformed, uh, expanding 5.6% in the nine months to September. Fixed investment um, had turned positive in the nine months through to September. Um, but some of the, you know, there's still, that's not as strong as they would expect it to be because apparently that, you know, at a local level, local governments are struggling to find good projects to invest in. Um, so it does suggest that there's pent up sort of infrastructure demand that's waiting to be unleashed as well, maybe once they can sort of settle on good projects. Um, so it, it from what has been a sort of very, very industrial led recovery it does appear that consumer is now starting to pick up the pace as well and and that's why china is forecasting that you know it will come out of the year with a positive uh positive growth figure um the other interesting like footnote on that article is that you know china is renowned for being incredibly leveraged and everyone talks about the chinese bubble the debt bubble popping at some point um the Leverage ratio of China's real economy, so the percentage of debt in households, non-financial enterprises and governments to a total of GDP increased to 269.2% in the third quarter of last year. So that does really reflect the monetary and fiscal policy that has been put in place by the government to try and protect the economy. Um, So it will be be interesting to see whether 
China does try to bring that ratio back under control moving forward because that is, you know, a, a fairly consistent policy point of the party that, you know, that leverage is controlled over time. Obviously, you know, the the uh, events of this year have had to change that, but it will be interesting to see how quickly China does try to deleverage again because it, it has been trying over time to do that. Um, so generally positive news, um, but we'll see if, if, if we can have a similar conversation about other global economies at some point in the next six months, hopefully. Hopefully. I mean, Tom, I think one of the salient points that I spotted in that article was the fact that exports contributed only yeah. percentage points to the uh, GDP expansion last quarter. I mean... This is pretty striking, both from the perspective that it's obviously now a domestically led recovery um, with consumer confidence increasing, but also I think raises question marks again about how easily China will be able to deleverage. Again, they've created this kind of consumer bubble, which is now lifting them domestically and was probably a very smart move given to the rest of the world will probably remain depressed for the rest of the year and into next year. Um, completely agree. But if you factor that in with uh, the politics that have developed this year, you know, they're, 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 I think the, the anti-China rhetoric uh, yeah. has increased this year. And, you know, there's a lot of onshoring being talked about and people's supply chains changing over time. And, you know, China will not necessarily be the factory of the rest of the world uh, moving forward. So, yeah, I completely agree that that, that will be a, a factor that they'll have to, to be thinking about very seriously moving forward. I, I don't know if they can rush into this deleveraging, you know, at the same time as their economy is effectively converting to a domestic consumer-led economy rather than an export yeah. But let's see. Yeah, well, that's the big issue, isn't it? You know, where does China go next? It's got its problems with... Oh, who becomes the next uh, president of the United States? Those issues there, two largest economies in the world, how they how they interact, how the world's going to recover, because a, a lot of these other countries are, are not recovering the same extent as China and are not going to need the imports uh, from China. So I, I think it's a, a start of things to to continue for China, and, and they're going to be more and more reliant on their on their growing consumer base, uh, as well as we've talked previously of people divesting away from China for for production. Uh, to other countries uh, as their as China transitions, so it's one to watch, and I'm sure that we will revisit on multiple multiple occasions. Yeah. Cool. Any final points before we finish for this week? Nothing further. Right? <laughs> we'll just talk over each other. No, I think I'm, I'm good. Thanks a lot. Cool. Well, uh, after a very Chinese heavy discussion this week uh, we will end so do uh, join us again next week and thank you to Tom and Kerry thank you guys thanks guys